Well, welcome back to uh, For the City. I'm Drew Dotson with For the City. I hope you'll enjoy today uh, an interview with a longtime friend, although a younger friend, Jeremy Pendergrass out of Ruston, Louisiana. Uh, Jeremy was in the marketplace, uh, then he took a leading role in a large local church, and now he's back in the marketplace with his family business with a vision for the business to become a community of practice, a kingdom outpost. So enjoy this uh, interview and especially perk your ears up if you're in business yourself or if you have people in your church who are wondering about how to reimagine their business. Jeremy, glad you're here. You were young and out of uh, out of school, if I understand the story mostly right, got in the oil and gas business for a while, then got recruited onto a church staff and then have left that church staff back in business and particularly you rejoin a family business. So give us your story and tell us why you're back in, in business again now. Drew, I think when I think about that, for me, um, I think going into why I came onto the church staff in the first place is helpful for me when I think about it. But, yeah. you know, so here in a, in a college town, um, really, that's when was a huge deepening time just in my faith personally. You know, I mm. uh, came to came to school here, really was challenged. And so as I graduated and, and started working, I kind of had this vision for um, how do I integrate my faith into my work? How do I integrate my faith um, into my daily life outside of the church programs, the college ministry, um, what I had, the discipleship program and mentoring right. that, I, that I had kind of come through. And so for um, for really six and a half years or so, I was, I was wrestling with that and working the oil and gas business, and that was going really well, but still real involved with the church. Um, well, the church that we were in went through a merger. Um, there had been two churches that had had some conflict. They came together. Church merger happened. And the guy that led all that ended up taking a job um, out of state. And he had mentored me, so he kind of brought me into this role um, on staff at this church um, that had just doubled in size. Yeah, overnight. Um, <laughs> overnight. And um, we were kind of the tagline for what we were doing is we wanted to be a regional, multi-site, church-planting church. And wow. so, That's a mouthful. Yeah. And so, well, and back in 2013, um, you know, those, those were all um, exciting things to talk about, mm -hmm. you know, being, you know, having a regional influence, being multi-site. I mean, we were looking at churches like the village, churches like, you know, yeah. fellowship that we're, we're, we're doing this model. And so we wanted to try to pilot that kind of in our area. And then the new church was well over a thousand people, right? I mean, it was a pretty right. big deal. Yeah. So we'd have, I mean, college town. So you got a lot of, a yeah. lot of college students, a lot of turnover there, but we were having probably, you know, a thousand to 1200 people come through on a Sunday. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is no small deal. Right. Yeah. And for, for our town, I mean, it was a, um, it was a, it, I mean, and it still is a, a large church and a, um, you know, a real exciting thing at the time. Mm -hmm. And so, so I step into that coming from um, a marketplace background with no seminary training and really um, so into this executive pastor organizational leader type role. Okay. And, um, and, and so we've got this organization that's doing all these programs, multi-site kind of a vision for growth. And part of my task was to um, help to manage that growth 
and organize in a way that we could, you know, deliver high quality uh, programs and services, um, you know, support the teaching staff in any way that we could do, expand missions, uh, grow an institute, different things like that. So, um, so I was young and I, I didn't have a clue as to what I was doing at the time. Um, and so that's when actually, if you remember, you know, probably six months to a year in is when we met. Okay. And um, then a lot of our early con- conversations were around, hey, what the heck am I supposed to be doing here <laughs> in this role? What, like, what, is this, what does it actually look like to do this well? What does it look like to do this biblically? Yep. And, and so the, the, the things that really um, impacted me through that season was a real deepening of my theology around what church is, okay. uh, what missions are, um, as opposed to kind of how we were programming missions or how we were thinking about missions as a church, how we were thinking about church planting and leadership. And um, so there was, a, there was kind of, as that stream was coming in, um, I was really impacted by some of the missional church conversation as well with the Alan Hirsches and the Michael Frosts and yep, yep. Uh, really calling for um, a contextualization hmm. um, of church to to the age and to the people and to the places that we're in. Yeah. And so as we started um, really running into those questions internally within the organization, um, it really caused me to um, to question, I guess, some of the inherited ways we were doing things or the expected expected ways that we were trying to carry out the mission, trying to carry out services, trying to carry out the programs, even the way we were staffed and structured in, in some ways. Even some of the governance issues, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and so, you know, we were kind of in this evangelical megachurch growth plan. I mean, right. I remember... Um, you know, reading an article, I think it was from Redeemer, um, talking about its leadership and church size dynamics. Was the oh, name I remember that article? Sure, Tim and, Keller. Yeah, yeah. And so, and and he and he goes into and starts out with the house church, and then you go to a small church, and you go to medium and a large and a mega. And you know, as I thought, like that was so critical for me early on to have start to have some of that framework. But the assumption was always that you're that you're moving along that path. Yeah. You know, the, like the bigger really is better. Yeah. That, because when you get to, when you're in the stage, then there's obstacles and there's challenges and there's growth points at every stage. And he's very clear and very helpful yeah. in naming what those are. Yeah, he is. Yeah. But the assumption is that's the pathway. Mm-hmm. And so as, as, as I started and um, a few other guys um, kind of within our circle on staff started to question some of those things, it became apparent to me that in order to continue to explore those pathways um, and to ask questions around what does church look like, we had to get outside our box. Um, uh, we, we had to get... Um, outside the walls of the church. So we started, we did connect with some different churches like Austin Stone or the village and look at their institute, look at the, for the city center in Austin Stone or different, different ideas like that. Um, and, and really explore and think about those conversations 
and, um, you know, start to start to try to discover some things. So, um, you know, towards the, towards the end of my season on staff, I think another piece was um, really understanding um, a different view on leadership and how we have um, a real strong paradigm around kind of the pastor teacher model of church leadership. So that's true. And um, like the, the, the teaching is central and the teaching is absolutely critical, but elevating that role of of teaching pastor had been uh, really, that was the, um, the, the structure that we had kind of come up in as far as the Bible church and what our church was doing. Sure. Like that's how we were, that's how we were operating. That's right. And so um, some of the language around um, the Ephesian four, fivefold gifting with apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and how to fit that in yeah. Uh, yeah, to the sure. framework. Like it really, it, it, it blew our minds. It's what and stretches the wineskins, doesn't it? <laughs> it absolutely does. And I mean, it really led to a lot of great conversations um, within the elder room, uh-huh. but we really didn't go further than that. Okay. And in fact, you know, it's one of those things that you're like, you're, you have a conversation around, you're like, this is intriguing and this is good, but we really don't know what happens when we, what, if this goes public. Yeah. But we got a church to run in the meantime. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, so that became kind of apparent to me that the calling um, for me personally was to be more on the boundary crossing, pioneering, export, exploring part of the of church leadership. Um, but what we needed as a church was management, was more mm-hmm. um, organizational sustaining work. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so we started to have conversations about what it would look like for me to, you know, to to start working on a network or going outside of that. And at the same time, Drew, I wanted to mention this. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff coming culturally and yeah. politically. Like yep. we had the Obergefell decision. We didn't know yep. how that was going to impact churches from a tax standpoint right. or from a legal standpoint. Right. And so we started to think, like, how are we going to continue to do what we do mm. if the legal and political and cultural environment environment goes um, in a way that we can't we can't continue operations as is. Yep. <clears throat> um, so those those questions. So we, then we started to talk about different forms. Yeah. Um, and for me, it kind of started with that. Are these forms going to be what we need in order to continue? Mm. Um, well, so let me say that back to you, make sure I'm getting this. So basically, uh, we've had, we've talked around this a lot. This is the way you're putting it now raises the question. So you had some internal kind of biblically based convictions and conversations. And at the same time, though, you're, and you're trying to think more missionally, which means you got to pay close attention to the culture you're trying to reach. And now the culture is starting to accelerate its change. It's changing fast. That's right. And it's changing in a direction that seems to be putting real pressure on the form that you were using. That's right. Okay. So, All right. So keep going. Let's yeah, go. So, so we were experiencing a lot of organizational pressure or we were foreseeing that we would yep. experience yep. some organizational pressure. 
But then, then there's this other whole set of information that we were looking at around um, impact. Mm. So uh, we're seeing like whatever study or metric you looked at, you looked at the, the nuns and the duns yes. and how, you know, yes. those, that, those groups of people were just skyrocketing as far as, you know, across yeah. the country. We're sitting yeah. in our own city. We're sitting in our own church. And I mean, we were having, I remember um, being in a conversation and one of these big um, churches was talking about um, all the work that they were doing. This was, again, kind of a closed door meeting. Sure. And and he made the comment, like, we're punching under our weight class. Like, that's what it feels like. Our weight class. We're punching under our weight class. We have all these resources, but we're not actually connecting with people like we feel like we should be able to connect with them. Well, because it was, wasn't it right in that same time frame that Willow Creek came out with their reveal study? Yep. It was in that same rough time frame. It, it, there's a lot of taking stock in the, in the reports where, man, we're spending tons of money, putting a lot of dust in the air, but are we actually making disciples? Yep. Right, right. Yeah, okay. And right. even, yeah, I mean, and from a missional standpoint, it's are we even – you know, and not even are there people maturing in the faith, but are people even coming to faith? And are we engaging with with non-believers? Are we engaging with non-Christians? And increasingly, like we just we had to answer, not really. Not really. You know, wow. like we're like we're baptizing people, but it's children coming up through children's ministry from our families that are already involved. Right. Um, and so you got the organizational pressure that we're, we feel coming. And then you've got this kind of missional gap mm. of, of we're not actually, we don't seem to be executing on what we're doing mm. or what we say that we're about. Mm. And then in the midst of that, I think there's some personal clarification that I went through on, Hey, managing, you know, th- this organization is not what I'm wired to do and that's okay. Yeah. Um, the church needs more than a, than a pastor shepherd yep. in, in, in the mission. Um, so at that point, it became pretty clear to me that, that the way forward needed to be outside the organization. So most likely in the marketplace mm-hmm. and, um, to see if there would be an opportunity to, to pioneer some other forms kind of with alongside, alongside the church or with the church and, and explore, um, What's on the other side of this um, confusion mm. and lack of clarity and organizational crisis that we feel like mm. we're, we're facing? Well, well, how would you characterize that? Well, then or now, new forms of church, new forms of the mission, new forms of how would you talk have talked about that or talk about it now? Well, um so yes to all that. I think, yeah, it's, yes to all that. <laughs> you know, um, the, the way that I've described that is, is kind of our current form and how, and when, and when I talk about form, I'm thinking of that, um, you know, um, the, the mega church, um, kind of modern evangelical mega church, yep. Um, model form, you know, yeah, heavy, heavily Sunday centric, heavily <laughs> clergy centric. That's right. Uh, none of that evil, but it is a, it is a distinctive model and it's a pretty expensive model to pull off. Yeah. Yes. Like an emphasis on, um, on 
buildings, infrastructure, professional staff with credentialing organizations that do, you know, and, um, and, you know, that's what, that's what I'd been a part of. That's what, um, you know, when we think of church around here, that's just what we think of. That's what we, that's what we experience. And so that model, though, uh, we continue to see that, that people were leaving that model. But, um, I mean, as I'm having conversations with these people, they're not done with the faith. Like they're not, it's not like they're not following Jesus anymore, Um, but they long for something, whether it's community, whether it's authenticity, whether it's simplicity, whether it's a mission that increasingly it feels like the organization just couldn't deliver in the same way. Hmm. And so, um, so the, the paradigm, I talk, you call that kind of, paradigm one or the, the existing paradigm or P one yeah. and that, but there's, there is, um, on the other side of this, um, experience there that we're in, um, there's gotta be some new expressions and some new forms, um, and some new understandings of what ch- church looks like. So mm-hmm. I, ju- I mean, I just think it's a kind of the next form of contextualization that the church has gone through throughout okay. history. Okay. You know, you know, Phyllis Tickles talks in the great emergence, just about yep. how yep. these huge shifts in the, in the church, yep. you know, since Christ. Yep. And um, I mean, and, and, it doesn't seem like anyone would argue against the huge technological changes that we've been through, cultural changes, upheaval, and and yep. where we are is a new moment. It's and, a new moment. Well, she call it a every five hundred year rummage sale. Right. Right. I had an old uh, college uh, seminary prof. He he called them hinges. Same point. Every five hundred years, it seems like the door swings, and it opens up to a new era for the Christian movement. And he would he made the claim even before I found Phyllis Tickle that uh, that we're living in a hinge. Yeah. Yeah. And and I usually, you know, I try to visualize this where I, I kind of start off with a, you know, a flat line, you know, it's just it's our current plane. Like this is where we're operating on. This is this is our current paradigm. But then there's this decline. There's this descent into a valley, which is mm-hmm. where things just don't work anymore. You know, yeah. and people start to leave. But what happens when we get there is that we just we just repack we just do a sermon series to 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 highlight giving or involvement or or mission or we redo a small group structure or we hire a role that we didn't have on staff or we have a campaign for something and and, and it, but it's just a recycle it's just going back to what we did but we mm-hmm. continue to be on that cycle of that that seems to work for a little while, but then we find ourselves back down in this valley of nothing has necessarily significantly changed. We don't, would you agree with this? We don't, we tend not to actually question the underlying assumptions and ideas. We do try to repolish, restructure the form without rethinking it from the inside out, starting with functions. Would you say it that way or a different way? Yes. I mean, I think that we repolish. I think that's a good word. We repolish uh, okay. the form okay. and we may restructure the programs, but we don't, we don't question the form yeah. and we don't, we don't question the, the underlying assumptions that we have that, that kind of, that we're built on. Yeah, okay. and, and, you know, and a, and a big part of this for me as I've seen it, is that um, 
I think the professionalization of leadership within the church is a real part of this cycle. Because mm-hmm. if you start talking about, hey, we're going to have to significantly, what does it look like to significantly change things? And if that's going to cause tension and conflict or question or, or you know, who knows, you may have to move into a season of, of, of significant change and disruption. Um, that is very difficult. If your livelihood is tied to that, yeah, this that, is your career path, so to speak. Yeah, that you know, th- it's very difficult to take that step. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, and, and understandably so, right? Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. I've been in that boat. Yeah, I've been in that boat, and you know, that's one of the things I've really appreciated about. And he's been pretty upfront about it, like guys like Francis Chan, yeah. with how how little he actually. Um, takes from compensation wise from the church so that, and he's a guy that you've seen, like he has left oh, huge ministries or, or major made, changes. He's made major disruptive moves. He has because he's, he's got the ability and, and the freedom and the independence in order to do that. And, and really, you're talking yes, about. yes, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. yes. All right. So, so I do think after we go down that descent, rather than kind of climbing back up and repolishing some of the forms and restructuring some of the programs, I think we've got to push forward. And mm. there's a there's a hill to climb. There's mm. an incline to go up, which pretty is. Steep. Yep. Yep. <laughs> there's going to be. It is pretty steep. And there's people we might have some some injuries as we as we ascend. Um but that's, I think, what we're going to look at as this, as the, the the next paradigm of how the church is contextualized to um, to the world. And um, so, so you drew this on the back of a napkin one time with uh, with me in some restaurant in Dallas, and you started calling it P two, and it stuck in my brain. So I've been calling it P two. But that that new, and it's not like you've got the secret plan of what the new paradigm is you're you're just really feeling the need to go explore, go pioneer, go scout it out. Is that accurate or would you say say that differently? No, I, th- I think that's that's 100 percent accurate. And and honestly, so, you, you know, if I, as I have talked with other P1 leaders, um, a lot of guys see that like they see that, hey, there's something like a lot, a lot of times they'll get phrased as. Hey, our kids aren't going to do church um, the way we're the, doing it. The yeah. way we're doing it, like it's not. Yeah. It may, you know, we may be able to do this for another twenty or twenty-five years, but at some point, church is going to look dra- drastically different. So whether we look to kind of Europe and kind of a, a truly post-Christian culture and what what that looks like, um, or other parts of the world, depending on right. you know what you think is is coming, um, but. Yes, I, there's definitely this call and this um, desire to step into some of these new forms and experiment and explore and try to connect with people. And Drew, I think more and more people are just drifting that way. Honestly, that have, that have kind of are leaving P1 churches yes. and they and they don't know what to do. Um, I, I talked to so many people who are. It's, some of them are mad because they got hurt. And one of my friends says there's no hurt like church hurt. And that's true. Mm-hmm. But so many of them aren't mad. It's just not delivering, working, 
uh, they're restless, they can't name it as articulately as, as you're doing, and, th- and so they drift. And I run into them too, and uh, they feel like they don't have a tribe spiritually. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're not sure what to do next, but they know they can't go back. So they're kind of in that valley you talked about. They're kind of stuck in that valley you're talking about. Uh, so you're 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 basically, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but our conversations have. I mean, you feel called just to pioneer that paradigm too, that P2, that new country that's out there. And we don't actually know what's out there. But some pioneers need to go out there and find out. That's right. I, I think the biggest thing um, for what the church needs right now is we need some attempts. Attempts, like we, okay. Yeah, we need we need some some good shots at just, you know, this is, we're, we're probably going to do some things that don't work. And we're already seeing some of this. So sure. whether it's like, um, the, we are church stuff that Francis Chan has done or the Tampa underground or, or different yep. house church networks. I think there's some really good ideas out there yep. that we can, um, um, that you don't have to be in a San Francisco to execute on. Like you yep. can, you can, you can try to do that in rural, yep. um, Southern right. Arkansas and North Louisiana. Right. And I, and so I think that's the biggest thing is, is to, the wheat that I feel called to is to um, to make some attempts at um, maybe some different forms. I'm trying to understand leadership in a different way. Okay. Trying to um, implement and in- integrate really ancient practices. Yeah. Okay. In a modern way. Yep. Um, Yep. And so those are the things. So if I could, you mm-hmm. know, so, so you kind of flesh that out a little bit. And I think there's, you know, simple churches, complex network, like, yep. so, you know, meeting in homes or um, with, with a, a non-emphasis on facilities and staff. I think mm-hmm. that the, um, I think to not that I'm against paid pastors at all. Both of us right. have been right, but yeah, paid absolutely. Ministers. Yeah, I'm still finishing up my stint as a paid pastor. That's right. But I think to the more we can um, have either um, bivocational ministers or unpaid spiritual leaders, because I think there's a big difference between nice. spiritual leadership nice. and positional leadership or nice. positional um, positional authority versus spiritual authority nice and and um i think for this next season it's important that we have spiritual leaders um, to lead these new forms not just staff members over a ministry over a program paid organizational leaders but unpaid spiritual leaders that's just not a bad phrase interesting Okay. Okay. So I want to push in on something because yep. you, you've used calling several times. And of course, you know, that's the whole concept of calling is important to me. And of course, to Volcari, which is what I'm working on nowadays, which means uh, calling or voice. So we kind of, okay. So reel the movie backwards a little bit. You're coming out of college, uh, you're oil and gas. Uh, I came out of it. I think you did too. We came out of uh, church families 
that kind of reserve calling language for clergy, mm-hmm. pastors or missionaries. Uh, if you were going into oil and gas, then that means you weren't called. But and I, I don't know how you, what words you would have used uh, then, but as you look back on it now, t- talk, me, talk to me about your calling and how your understanding of that has grown or deepened over the years. So um, real early on, kind of getting out of school, getting married and kind of getting into into work. I mean, I did have this sense of um, that I was called to do more than just um, make money and send it to the church. Okay. Right. You know, so that was I knew that that was a part of it. Like I wanted to financially support what was going on. Um, but there had to be a way that I could connect what I was doing on a daily basis into the expansion of the kingdom of God where I was. Like, and, 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 you know, so I felt like most of the examples that were given to me in and around business early on was how you can, um, you know, do good work, sure. um, try to try to share the gospel with people that you have interactions with, which, which is a, that's a great thing. Sure. Um, start a Bible study, you know, sure. at lunchtime or, lunchtime, or at the sure. office. Right. All good stuff, right? And then and then support the church. So so financially. So those are those are really kind of the four things that four pathways. But um, that's about as far as it went. And I mean, I could do all those things, but I, I, that also did depend. That didn't really have anything to do with my actual work. Your actual work. That's right. Mm-hmm. And um, so. Honestly, Drew, like I, I struggled with that. And I would talk about at that point, it was the business idea. Okay. It's it's this, like, what if we actually had a business that was, was about kingdom work? What would that look like? What would that look like? And, um, so this was, um, the idea was, was magnetic. Like Mm -hmm. we had guys that were you know, we would get together and, um, you know, we're 22, 23, 24, 25. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we want to do something. I mean, what is that together? And so there's uh, this idea of community and, and camaraderie, but also kingdom work. And, um, and so we were getting together and praying about starting a business. Of course, none of us knew what we we're going to do. We're just starting right. off yeah. and then kind of life hits and sure. kids and, stress and time. And so we all kind of went our separate ways. But for me, like that, um, that idea of, of really orienting the business around kingdom principles, and I couldn't really articulate it a whole lot then, but like I knew that there was something there. So it was interesting. As soon as I went to work at at the church, I was like, well, you know, the business stuff is on the side, but two things happened. Um, one is the, that calling and that sense of the importance of business never went away. Um, and, and, and then I actually started to see, uh, you know, there's a um, ministry, the way I defined ministry um, was, was largely if it was a 501c3 or not and how, and how faulty a view that actually was and that we needed Actually, the gospel changes everything about us and everything about how we live, which includes our, you know, it, it includes our uh, spiritually and our faith and 
and our morality and our sexuality, but our economics and our business and, and, and what we do with our hands and, and what we make. And you, you, you talk about this idea of, of then serving the poor and economic, human flourishing and economic flourishing. And that requires us to have companies that are doing kingdom work that can connect with and employ people and give them dignity in, in what they, in what they do. And so, so as I'm at the church, all this is being this theological component is coming in um, and, and really shaping kind of my view on, um, on church and ministry and mission and work and business. And so that really led me to, Hey, this is, um, we actually need missionaries that are in the marketplace and in the business world, not as a front, not as like, this is just a paycheck, but if we could actually establish, um, these kingdom entities or kingdom outposts, um, where what goes on, how we interact with each other, with our staff, with our community, with the owners, with the clients, all those relationships um, can be glorifying to God, can be um, can advance the message of the gospel. Um, what we make, what we do, how we make that, those are all parts of it. Um, you know, and so um, so kind of the most the most recent place for that for me has been um, forming a family business. We were part of a financial management company. And I uh, worked with my dad and my brother and, and, a, and a couple of the staff. And so we left and formed our own, uh, our own firm with that in mind of we specifically want to integrate these kingdom principles into what we do. Not that we're going to put, you know, a Bible verse, you know, on our, on our stationery that goes out. Not that that's bad. There are ways that we can be redemptive in our work, um, it's more than just messaging. It's more, um, and, and we can be, we can look to integrate, um, goodness and gentleness and integrity and love into what we do and how we meet with people and manage their finances and, and encourage them. Now we do want to be unapologetic that our faith the, the reason for that is that our faith informs us and guides us, and we wouldn't do this without, without following Jesus and, and, and his way. Um, but yeah, that means we're, we're going um, to try to be the best financial advisors that we can be, but we're going to specifically not see that as that's not a secular role, you know? Um, but there's also, man, there's practices that we can integrate um, into the business. And this is what I think there's just a lot of development that can happen. So I would think there's some things as, as simple as, um, like, let's just go back to the Old Testament and some of the economic laws that, the, that, that God gave the Israelites as they were coming into, um, coming into the, the promised land. And so the idea of Sabbath and Jubilee and the, and the gleaning laws. And so, so we're trying to figure out what that looks like for us. But so there's some things, so we're going to, we are going to designate 
a percentage of profits that come into the business and, um, and give that directly to people and or initiatives or organizations in the community. So both individually, like individually, that's going to be encouraged, but we're going to do that. The business is going to do that. Um, and, and so, um, also look for ways that, um, we can just encourage, um, well, we can encourage biblical financial management, what we do, encourage people to invest in kingdom initiatives. I think this is a huge thing. You know, it's, it's, um, there's a lot of great literature on, um, you know, biblical personal finance of, of giving and then saving and investing for, for the long run and, and being generous. Um, but what does it look like for radical generosity on creating and supporting new initiatives that advance the kingdom in your community? And so um, that's we're on the we're on the kind of front end of this. But I think there's a lot that can be developed when you think about um kingdom business and the advancement of the kingdom and the, the, how we interact with the world. And so as you kind of, so as you think about P2 and um, so if if compare that with P1 in that, I think the primary motivation of business is to support the work of the church. Uh, But I think increasingly it's important for us to have initiatives and organizations and families and communities that are not part of the established institution that are doing the work of ministry and the work of the church. You know, we, we, we kind of, whenever we think about church, we've made it so much about the gathering. Like it's the gathering is everything. And not that the gathering doesn't matter, but, but it's, it's not all about the gathering, you know, and, and we've got to have, um, I think these these initiatives and this this forward um, forward movement into new territory, experimenting with new forms, new ideas, and integrating that. Um, I think it's exciting to to think about just what what we're going to see over the next decade or so. Is I think family businesses have a unique opportunity. Because, because we've got, I mean, increasingly in corporate America, you know, the, you know, the hoops and the, that, you, that you have to adhere to and jump, jump through, uh, you just have the ability as a family business to, to really align how you operate with your faith in a way that, that, that a lot of corporations don't, aren't able to. And it's, it's not that, that we don't want to have to follow these guidelines around inclusivity and oppression. And we actually can go way beyond any, any type of corporate governance mandates that come down through a lot of, a lot of companies, you know. Hey, we had some technical difficulties, so I wasn't able to say goodbye to Jeremy like I wanted to, but I sure hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, Feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, We'll help you even get in touch with Jeremy if you would like. Uh, As he is reimagining his business as a community of practice, uh, wanting to really uh, bless his community and his clients uh, far beyond simply offering great financial uh, advice. 
So if you have that on your heart as well for your business, or if you're a, a pastor, a leader in a church, and you have businessmen and women who are trying to reimagine their businesses, hey, get in touch with us. Share what you're doing. And let's see if we can't learn together how businesses can also become communities of practice loving their neighbors. Thanks. Uh, much love and uh, look forward to the next uh, uh, interview with Paul Stoic out of North Carolina doing a lot of innovative things with uh, regional apostolic teams. I hope that phrase intrigues you and we'll be hearing from Paul next time.